probably 2005, we had just started and I got a call from a contractor to come down because he had found bones in the house. Hey, it's JP. Hi, it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I'm here today with Brad Chandler, who is a flipper, it sounds like, a wholesaler. We're going to get into that. And uh, who's also done some pretty interesting self-discovery work that he's also going to tell us about. So, Brad, the first question we always start out with is, Tell me about your journey through life that has led you to be on the show with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Terry. I I bought and I guess I probably got as a gift when I was in ninth grade. I I read a book called How to Buy Real Estate with No Money Down, and I had gone through a tumultuous childhood where parents were divorced and we didn't have much money. So I knew I always wanted to do real estate because there was unlimited money. So in July of two thousand three, I bought my first house in July in August of 2003. And that was after, by the way, working eight long months trying to find my first deal. I had a newborn son, I'd come home, I'd put him to sleep, and then I'd start working from like eight to midnight. So in July, I bought my first house in 2003. July and August, I bought six houses. I came home and told my wife at the time with a new child that I was quitting my full-time job and I was going to flip houses full-time. And she's like, are you crazy? I'm like, no, it'll be, it'll be fine. And here we are almost 20 years later in 4,000 houses and we've been fine. <laughs> so, okay, what, just hang on. 4,000 houses. Like you're going to have to break that down for me. How does that even happen? That seems like such a huge number to me. So, I mean, it started with one house, right? So we did, we probably did a hundred houses our first year. This year we'll do 300 houses. So over 19 years, it's a lot of houses. <laughs> okay. So, but business model. So like, when you say you're you're flipping, so like you're acquiring a house, is it in your local market? How do you find the house? Do you inject any money into it? Do you do something or are you just kind of doing arbitrage, like finding distressed properties and then selling them at market value? Like what's your business model? So we have three different business models, but probably for the first 15 years, we took every single house down and we fixed it up and we resold it. That's all I knew how to do. I didn't know wholesaling existed. I didn't know novations existed. So we did that for 15 years. In the last four or five years, we've started to wholesale and we started to do novations and we did some buy and hold. So it kind of runs the gamut. And like, how do you find 100 houses? We spend a fortune in marketing. We spend well over six figures a month marketing. And what does that look like? TV. So we've been on, we've spent millions and millions of dollars on TV advertisements. I'm, I'm the face of the company and have been. We have a real catchy jingle, Express Home Buyers, we'll buy your house in seven days. So lots of TV over the years, direct mail, Google AdWords. Now we're doing streaming on the, you know, like Hulu's and Roku's of the world, Facebook ads, just, just like the, all the normal stuff. But we're, but we're really good at marketing. And we're really good at follow-up. We have a team of now probably 12 uh, full-time virtual assistants in the Philippines. And we have probably six acquisition staff. And we are just all over those leads when they come in. And what's your average price at which you buy those homes? So, so of the 4,000 houses, probably 90% of them have been bought um, or 95% of them have bought and been bought in DC, Maryland, Virginia. So our average price point here in the market is probably close to 500. Now our average price point is probably in the 300 range, ARV, like 350, 375. And you're buying those all like with your own capital or you're financing them? Uh, all private money, all private money. We use a combination of hard money and then just private net worth, high net worth families and individuals. 
And then how do you like vet a deal? Because like, if I'm getting that volume of deal coming in, I'm doing aggressive follow-up. Okay. Someone wants to tell, sell their house fast, whatever they need the money. They come through your, you know, whatever the web of your VAs and uh, you know, you, whatever you can set the paperwork up. How do you then vet the house? So, I mean, we have, a, oh, it's, it's almost like we do an appraisal, right? So we're looking at all the sole comps. And now in this market, if you're looking at the sole comps and that's it, you're silly because you can really get burned. You want to look at the active comps because they're, they, they'll tell you a much better story, more accurate story than, than the sole comps will when the market's falling. So we just do a full-blown appraisal, you know, uh, looking at the comps and then we go out to the house and we do an inspection of the house and, you know, we've done it tens of thousands of times now. So we're pretty good at it. Do we lose money here and there? Of course we do. I mean, we we underestimate repairs or, you know, in this market, we've bought houses where in the last 90 days, the price has gone down seven, eight, nine percent. So we have lost some money, but typically we have a pretty good uh, batting average. And then how do you have time to renovate 100 houses a year? You know, um, we don't renovate 100 houses a year because when we when we did, it really hurt. It was really hard. We had 80 renovations going on at any given time, stretched out across a four hour drive. And it was um, nightmarish. I mean, nightmarish. So but we did it. I mean, just di having different crews at that time, we had like three or four project managers and then a head of construction. So just a lot of labor. Wow. OK, so I want to before we get into like kind of the self-development stuff, I want to understand your scaling. Because the numbers that I hear, it's a it's a big number. And like I can't imagine, like I have trouble keeping up with like three renovations jobs at the same time. Granted, it's like really not my favorite thing. <laughs> but like, how do you, I mean, are you a one-man show? Like, how did you scale that even in year one to do, you know, a hundred jobs like that? No. So it was my partner and I, and just like just like any business, we we said, okay, let's let's split the because we we're all we were both doing all the same roles. So it's like, let's split this. You handle construction, you handle the financing part of it, and I'm gonna handle I'm gonna handle sales and marketing. So I did all the marketing. I I did I I was going out signing up houses, I was hiring people and training them. So we just split it. And then as we couldn't do it, we just hired, 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 hired. So, you know, we didn't start out doing hundred houses. We started doing one house and then two houses and three houses. And then we brought on a junior partner, and then we brought on an admin assistant, and then we brought on a I don't even know. It's been so long ago, you know, whatever it was, an acquisition person and then a disposition person and then a, a marketing person. And we just grew as as we got more business and, okay. and, and, and scaling, Terry. I mean, you know, this it's all about people. people we've, we've got the greatest team we've had in 19 years. And it's about like just creating good systems. So I've always been pushing. You know, I read the book, The E-Myth. I can hear the E-Myth like coming out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. OK. Yeah. OK. That, well, that makes a lot of sense. Then, so to close off the business thing, can you take me through like just some numbers, like baby steps through a recent deal that you've done so that people can kind of put, you know, figures on something and see how, how what you do works. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm fortunate that I only work three hours in the business. So I happen to know one deal off the top of my head. And then before the call, I'm like, Hey, to my acquisition manager, you guys send me another deal. Cause I know Terry's going to ask me. So I actually know about this deal because about six months ago, an employee moved to LA outside of Hollywood. And the plan was for him to work virtually and just close things in the DC market. And I'm like, if he's there and he's really good, why don't we spend some marketing dollars? So we spent some marketing dollars. We got a house under contract that we ended up buying in Carson, California, which is a suburb of LA for 550. It had a pool. The lady had inherited it from her brother. She lived in Vegas. He had died on the stairs and he was there for so long that the hazmat crew had to come in and like 
remove him and remove the stairs. So when we went to look at the house, we couldn't give him a firm offer because we couldn't get to the second floor. So we had to have a handyman come in, build some stairs. So we bought it for five fifty. We ended up putting in like $65,000. We listed it for $799 and then it ended up selling for $780. So we're probably going to make, you know, around $100 or $110 on that one. That, that was a good one. But that's one that I know that we ju just closed today, actually. We just resold it today. Good for you. And so that, uh, what would your financing look like? That was private money, all private you know, money? That, that, was, that was interesting. That was a hodgepodge. So for, for the, I think our, my company funded $300,000 out of, out of cash. And then I had a home equity line on my house here in Virginia. So I'm like, it's just sitting here. So I lent, lent it to the company. It was like $270,000. And then I think we funded the renovation. So yeah, I'll be getting a check back for whatever with interest, you know, close to $300,000 here soon, just to pay off my home equity line, put some money in my pocket. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> and let me think if I can think of another question. So that was the financing, the, the numbers. What was the turnaround time? So I think we bought that house three months ago and I'm in a, a mastermind and we happen to, uh, there is a high powered real estate wife and the husband that I'm friends with. He does construction. He does, he does new builds. So it was just nice. I called him up. His name is Coco. I'm like, Hey dude, we renovate this house. And he did, and he did a great job. Enjoying the episode so far. Have you really been listening to the episode or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, mindfullandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. Great. Sounds like super streamlined. And you know, my next question was going to be like, tell me a weird story because I think, you know, the rest of the interview is kind of about stuff that we don't talk about so much. So I think like us real estate people, like we like to talk about deals. We like to talk about money, but we all have these like kind of weird experiences. And I think, you know, this, the fact that somebody died in the house was a, was a weird experience. Maybe you want to use that answer, or maybe you have another one, but mm -hmm. I know that like, Sometimes those are the best stories of like, you know, some strange purchase or some strange owner or a deal that maybe you didn't do because it was too weird. You got any other stories? Oh my God. I mean, we could be here all day, right? But I'll give you a great one. Probably 2005, we had just started and I got a call from a contractor to come down because he had found bones in the house. And as he's ripping up the floorboards, there is a cutout in the floor and he opened it up and looked down and there's bones. So what do I do as a great marketer? I go and get like 10 We Buy Houses on down in my trunk. I put them all over the house outside. And then my partner's wife is a, a PR. She was in PR. So she called all the no local news outlets. So all the new local news outlets come down. And we're, we're I'm literally like saying in front of the house that the We Buy Houses signs are in the back. I'm a marketer, of course. And I'm like, I hope some family can finally get closure. To me, it looked exactly like a knee bone. It looked like a femur. It looked like leg bones. So I thought someone killed them. They obviously cut the floor open. So DC is DC. If you don't know DC, for the United States, it's one of the mo more corrupt cities in, in the world probably. And they don't like to work really hard in DC. So months went by, weeks went by, and I was like, what happened to the bones? And they're like, we took them to the Smithsonian and they were animal bones. And I'm like, animal bones? I've never seen animal bones that look like that. And let me ask you a question. Why is someone gonna cut their floor open to put animal bones down there? 
So that was the story I got. And I'm sitting there saying, I, you know, it, anyway, who, who knows what they were, but that, that was a crazy story. <laughs> so you never found out what the bones were. I, I mean, they said that the Sistonians said they were, they, they identified them as animal bones. Now, was that what they just told me just to not have to do any work? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that is a one great weird story. How, what was it like unloading the house after you like created all this buzz about like dead people in the house? It, it wasn't bad at all. We had another tragic story where, where someone, a lady killed her kids in the house and we didn't know till after we bought the house and we were still able to sell that house. So. And like, was that an issue? Like, did the people who were buying it kind of balk at it? I, you, you know what? I mean, this was literally probably 2004. I don't remember, honestly. I just was shocked that we were able to sell it. No, I think we had to disclose it and I think yeah. they were okay, they were okay with it. Wow. That's crazy. Cause like for sure, like us in, in Canada, like violent death is like one of the things that you have to disclose. And yep. uh, yeah. Anyways, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that story. That's like one of sure. my favorite, favorite part of the interview. I mean, I mean um, Terry, we've got, I mean, I've been, I've done a lot of houses. I mean, we've, we've walked into houses where there's women, like uh, there was a woman literally scooping her poop out of the toilet in a bucket because for months she had been pooping in the, in the tub. Yeah, yeah, no, I got. I ha actually, I have one of those myself at the moment. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's like flip tax a little bit, but also to something that we don't talk about too much in the real estate field. I want to hear about the lifestyle hits that you took to get where you are, because I think like especially when you're living like you know the Instagram lifestyle, we have a tendency to like only post and talk about our successes and the things that went well, but yeah. For anybody who wants to like really succeed in real estate, you're going to take a lifestyle hit. And if that's delaying gratification, lowering expenses, making time sacrifices, what did that look like for you? So, I mean, this is a really great question. It leads perfectly into what we're going to talk about the second half of this interview. And that is, so what did I sacrifice? What, what has happened to me in those 19 years? I've had two failed marriages. I have two kids with behavioral problems. Not massive, but just, you know, like most kids struggle with anxiety, uh, you know, struggle with, you know, using weed when they shouldn't. I made five business mistakes that cost me $9 million. I used weed and alcohol as a way to feel more comfortable in social situations. But did that have anything to do with the business? Yes and no. It had to do with the business because the business was my, was my vehicle to try to make it when, when I look back on why I started Express Home Buyers, it was to make a bunch of money. Why did I want to make a bunch of money? Because I didn't feel worthy inside. And the money was a way that I thought could prove my worth. So it was the business who drove all this stuff. But but you can't blame any of this on the business. Because if now that I know what I know after going through this major life transformation in the last 20 months, is that most of us have some component of not feeling good enough, not feeling like we belong, or feeling like we can never get out of life what we want. And those three things are all formed from childhood stress or traumas. And they're formed as coping mechanisms. So when something bad happens as a six-year-old, something bad happens to you, you say, I'm bad. That helps you get through the situation. And it helps you then. But when you're 47 years old and your subconscious mind is telling you you're bad, you need to do something to prove yourself, you do it through drugs and, and women and buying yachts and trying to make a shitload of money but guess what? None of that stuff, none of that stuff will ever bring you inner peace. You have everything you've ever needed to be happy right inside you now. And when you can make that shift, like I did, the whole world changes. Now I run a business and I started a coaching company. It was the first business that I've started in my life where I'm not looking at how much money I can make. I'm looking at how many people's lives can I impact that, that are struggling with obesity, 
shitty marriage, shitty relationships. They drink too much. They eat too much. They have anxiety. They're stressed all the time. They judge themselves. They're, they're in the state of like irritability all the time. How many of those people can I teach that the only way that the only reason you're like that is because of these silly thoughts that you have in your head that aren't true. And when I can help you see those by going back to your childhood and processing these, the whole world changes. So now express home buyers in a Brad Chandler coaching, it's all about the impact. And is there any coincidence that this year is going to probably be one of our best years, if not our best ever? And I'm not focused on money. I'm focused on making an impact. Yeah. That, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. What uh, coaching program did you do to come to that realization? Because I'm going to see if you're channeling the coaching that I think you're channeling. So I went to, I went through a friend of a friend. He's an ex Navy SEAL, him and his wife out in Park City. So I learned from him. And then I studied under one of the best uh, hypnotist therapists in the world named Marissa Peer. And I also studied under one of the, he's a 40-year physician who specializes in uh, trauma and addiction, Dr. Gabor Matei. So I've gone out over these last 20 months and spent thousands of hours. I've read 40 books. I've studied under some of the best. And I've created this, um, this system where literally in a matter of hours, not, not, not months, not years, not weeks, in a matter of hours, I've had profound change with people with OCD chronic depression, alcoholism, uh, just by going back to the untruths that they told themselves from childhood and using neuroplasticity, which is just rewiring your brain through constant talk and feedback, have completely, these people have completely changed their lives in such a beautiful way. That's a, it's amazing. But let me just get back a little bit to the, you know, we're talking about the lifestyle hits, right? Because like I asked you that question and then you kind of segued into the coaching and like, I want to give you a bit more time to talk about that experience. But when we're talking about the lifestyle hits, like so you kind of, you know, listed a bunch of stuff of, of, you know, your kids, uh, some, you know, drug and alcohol crutches, let's say some yep. failed marriages. Like, is that because of, you know, the fact that you felt like you needed to succeed in real estate? And so you didn't give those things the appropriate amount of attention or like, is that, are those two independent variables? They're completely independent. And people would think that was the case. But now that I've learned the truth is I had no chance of having a successful relationship or successful marriage because of the way that I felt about myself internally. And that's why we have a six, a 50 to 72% divorce rate from the first divorce rate to the third marriages. It's because you can't have a successful relationship. If you've got a shitty marriage and you're listening to this right now, it has nothing to do with the relationship between the two of you. It has to do with the relationship you have with yourself. Wow. I feel like that needs to be like the teaser for this episode. <laughs> yeah. Because listen, I went to, you know how many marriage counseling sessions I went to, Terry, in my two marriages? And I walked out of there like, we should just get a divorce because they're talking about like, oh, you need to go on more date nights and you need to hold her hand. And oh, when she says something to you, repeat back what she said. No, all of that is bull. If, if you're fighting for your worth, you're going to always find someone else fighting for their worth because an unwhole person is not going to go meet an enlightened person. It never happens. What we do is we go find another unwhole person and then we have unwhole offspring. And then we just repeat this over and over and over. It's called the multi-generational curse. So yeah, none of that stuff works in marriage counseling because I've been this literally some of the best in the world, marriage counselors. It doesn't work. It's always about the relationship you have with yourself. So tell me more about what does work. You have this coaching program, you've kind of hinted at, you know, neuroplasticity and like going back and reworking some childhood things. Can you give me like maybe a concrete example or a takeaway that like when people listen to this episode, they can go away from there and be like, I'm going to implement this now and it's going to make a difference. Yeah, I, I think you, you, you have to start looking at when you have internal upset, it's always an opportunity to grow and to, to, to level up, right? When you're arguing with your spouse or your partner, it's never about the actual issue at hand. 
it's always, it goes back, your brain, it's doing its job. It's a survival thing. It's your subconscious brain. It goes back to the worst point in your childhood where someone did something that your spouse did to make you feel a certain way. So they leave up the toilet seat. The toilet seat is not about the argument. You somehow feel unloved, unworthy because someone did something to you that made you feel that way. So you wrap that story in about, well, he left the toilet seat up because he doesn't care about me. You don't do it consciously. It's all unconscious. So you can start there. That's like a one thing is you stop. You don't lash out at the person. You literally stop and you identify the emotion, whatever it is. Then you you label it by saying I'm feeling, not I am, because when you say I am, that's that's identifying you as something. Identities don't change. Feelings come and go. So I am feeling upset. I'm feeling sad. Then give yourself compassion for that, because most of us didn't have a chance as a child to get compassion for emotions. Most of our parents couldn't handle our emotions. So it's just like you can't cry. If you get if you, I, I've had clients that if they cry, they get they, their parents would hit them more. So they're like, I didn't I didn't ever cry. I mean, just crazy stuff, right? So, so that's that's something you can do. Ultimately, though, whether you have physical pain or mental pain, it's your body's alarm system saying that something is wrong in your body and your mind. How do you fix it? You always have to go back to the source of the pain. So you, you have a back pain. The doctor goes in and they fuse the two vertebrae together, but they don't look what caused it. Six months later, you're back on the operating room table. It's the same thing with mental pain. What is causing the anxiety, the depression? What's causing you to come home and drink three glasses of wine or eat 10 donuts? Because you weren't born that way. You were born this perfect child. You weren't born with anxiety. You weren't born with depression. So let's go back to where it started and turn those stories around. And that's something you do through hypnosis or it's like more sort of a conscious analysis? I've done it both. I I started, I got into hypnosis because I want to be the best, uh, literally, transformation coach in the world. And I'm willing to do anything. So I look at everything and say, is this a tool that could help my clients? What hypnosis does, it's not what you think. It's not, you're not, I'm not going to have you on stage running, you know, chasing a, a mouse around. That's that's all like entertainment. What, what hypnosis does is it allows you to access your subconscious mind. When you go to traditional talk therapy and you go every Tuesday at 11 a.m. and you talk about how you get mad when the toilet seats up and you drink too much and you yell, they focus on the symptoms at hand. They don't go back to the source. They don't go back to the, they, it's all on a conscious level. You don't make your decisions. You don't get upset and cry when your husband leaves the toilet seat up because of your conscious mind. It's all unconscious. So what hypnosis does is allow, your mind, your subconscious mind knows exactly the source of why you're overweight, why you drink too much, why your marriage is shitty. So we tap into the subconscious mind and we ask it in the state of hypnosis, what is causing this? What are the scenes that have caused this? And it, it'll literally go back to three scenes. And I've had countless clients be like, I didn't even remember that. Like, that's crazy. This is amazing. We go back and we figure out where they start. And now we have an awareness as an adult that, oh, this is why I'm feeling that way. I don't need to feel that way anymore. It was just this crazy untruth that I formed as a coping mechanism as a child. My brain was doing exactly what it should have done. Yeah. Oh, that's, it's, it's incredibly powerful. Like everything you're saying, I'm like, he's right. Oh man, it's true. <laughs> and, and, why, and why don't we hear this, Terry? Because do you know what? 99% of the world's problems from our prisons being full to Putin invi in, invading uh, Ukraine, on and on and on, child molestation, drunk driving, addiction, every uh, health, con health conditions. It all comes back to this lack of self-love and self-compassion because of these stories but you don't ever hear anything. That's why I'm so passionate. And that's why I spend all of my time doing this because I'm like, people, you have to know this. I came from this place. 
I'm here and my world is so different. Every day is like a blessing. Everything, it's, it's just amazing. I don't get the times I get angry or frustrated anymore, like hardly any, because I see everything in a different light now. Yeah, no, it sounds uh, it's, it's, it sounds like almost a bit like, like kind of Buddhist enlightenment, you know, that when you see like the stories behind the stories or like the fact that we are overlaying narratives on top of reality. And as a result of that, we just have the possibility to rewrite things if we want to. But you have to find where the levers are because it sounds really easy, but like it's actually not. If you have the right person, it really isn't. I mean, literally in, in a two hour session, I, I will I, I would figure it out 99.9% of the time. So if you have the right person, it, it should not be hard at all. Well, that's very encouraging. <laughs> yeah. And by um, the way, if you're listening to this and you're suffering with any of the stuff I mentioned, no matter what you've tried, don't ever say to yourself, I've tried it all. This is my life. I'm going to stay in this shitty marriage. I'm going to stay 60 pounds overweight. I'm going to keep drinking a 12 pack when I get home at night because that's my life. It's shitty. I can't do anything about it. I'm here to tell you that's absolute bullshit. You can change. You don't have to have years. You don't have to have months. You don't even have to have, you know, in a matter of a five-week program, like I can radically change your life. So if you're suffering and you're like, I've tried everything, you haven't tried everything because there is hope for you. So just have hope that you can get out of life what you deserve out of life. Great. Uh, that's, that's, that's very powerful. Um, you kind of answered my last interview question, which is what should we be talking about that we don't talk about? And I think that's it. Like that's what we should be talking about that we're not talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you do you do you know the the rate of childhood suicide or suicide in general, but the rate of childhood like kids on Ritalin and all this ADD and ADHD? None of those kids were born with that. So my parting thing that we should be talking about: when your kid has behavioral problems, do you know the first place you should look? Go to the bathroom and look right in the mirror because you are likely a cause of your child's problems. And I know that's really hard to hear, but I, it, it's the truth. Your ch children. The reason for their behavioral problems are your pro are your problems. If you want to help your child, get help for yourself. And that's what I'm doing. And now my children are starting to change because I can say to them, listen, I did all these things I shouldn't have done. I didn't know. Now I have an awareness. This is why I behave the way I, I behave. This is why you behave the way you, you behave. You don't have to do it anymore. And it's a process with them. But it always starts with the parents. If you think your kid has behavioral problems and you can go get it fixed without fixing yourself, it might be fixed for two weeks when they're in some program or whatever. Wait till they come home and you introduce them to the environment that created it all. They're going to go right back to the way they were. It rings very true. And I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I, it's actually like nothing to do with this. I was like reading some, you know, uh, research on that. And it turns out that like parents with, you know, mental illness or poverty or like these other kinds of things are statistically way higher in likelihood to have kids who have behavioral problems. And like, so that link is really right there. But let me explain that link because it's it's something that drives me crazy that, that people say about alcoholism too. Well, alcoholism runs in the family. No, it doesn't. The trauma from alcoholism runs in the family. You don't pass down mental illnesses. You pass down the traumas from the mental illnesses. So that's why parents have to talk about something that we need to start talking about. Our generation from like 15 to 20 years old is the most broken five year in the history of the world, I think. Why is that? Well, partly because of social media, partly because of COVID, but it has a lot to do with the parents and their behavior. Yeah, and it's not their fault either, right? It, it's their parents and their parents and their parents, but it's got to start somewhere. If you have a child, the greatest gift that you can give your child is to teach them how to break the multi-generational curse. And how do you do that? You break it yourself. You break it by understanding that you are enough 
and that you have self-love and self-compassion so you can teach your child how to have self-love and self-compassion so they don't have to use drugs, alcohol, coping, food, whatever it is, and then go marry an unwhole person and just start the whole process over. Yeah. Brad, this has been a really great interview. It's fascinating. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they want to learn more? bradchandler.com. And listen, if, if you don't have to work with me, but I want to help you. So I offer a free 30 minute phone call. If you're struggling, if you're suffering and you don't know where to turn, call me. I will help you as best I can, but just know you don't have to suffer one day longer. Thank you, Brad, for being on the show. It's been very informative. I hope our audience gets a lot of value out of this. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.